Good morning, everybody. So um, <clears throat> this past Friday, just wanted to share a few, just wanted to share a few pictures um, uh, from from our awesome uh, snow tubing adventure. Uh, it was so cool. Thank you so much to Jay Davies, our youth pastor, for organizing this and having a great idea that we go down <clears throat> uh, this this hill at high speeds. Um, and especially for those of us who, I mean, I'm not, I, I have to take physics again, but it seemed like I was going faster than other people because I have a little bit more weight to carry and I don't know. Um, but anyway, it's like, cause nobody else, nobody else crashed into the wall, but you get to the bottom of this, um, with, uh, with as much that, see, that's the top of the hill and you, you get down and you, and you slide all the way down there. It's like a mile and a half, uh, down to the bottom. Um, and, uh. Oh, there's um, ah, a couple people waiting for um, <clears throat> the, the snow tubing to start. And then here's Jay and Eliza. Uh, and then um, I think there was a picture. Oh, that's, this is all the, all the kids tuckered out after being uh, you know, thrown down this hill a couple of times. Um, and uh, here, here, here's, here's Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat. Um, you know, that was good times. <laughs> um, no, it was, a, it was a really, really, really great time, and we were very glad um, that we got to go. Again, thank you to Jay for, for organizing that. But yeah, I, I would just fly down and just smash into the wall, and everybody else like was able, because I guess it's my, maybe it's because my legs are too uh, short and stubby, because I couldn't get my legs all the way down to, to, to break, you know, so I couldn't break, so I just flew into this wall and just crashed. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. But the, it was a padded wall. It, it was, it was kind of nice to kind of lay there, collapsed after a little bit. Um, but uh, it, it, speaking of, of, of that, uh, think, speaking of the stress of going down uh, this hill, um, on a more serious note, uh, Jay Davies is actually going to be leading a teen anxiety youth um, group uh, uh, in the coming months. Um, this isn't going to be just something that he does specifically for New Hope. There's going to be other folks probably from Grace Fellowship or maybe some other churches that are going to be involved in it. It's going to be specifically for any student who is um, around uh, 8th to 12th grade. So it's actually going to focus a little bit more on, um, on high school. So if you actually know of anyone, if you're joining us even from out of state, you know, um, if you know of any teenager that is struggling with anxiety, depression, just the stresses of this world, uh, I highly uh, encourage to I encourage you to reach out to, to Jay Davies. His information is on our website or on our bulletin on the Enu Hope, uh, and he can give you all the information about that. Um, also, I want to give you just a quick update about Mary Poling, who had surgery this past Friday. She said she was just so overwhelmed. Uh, thanks, uh, Mary. Hi. Um, she said she was just so overwhelmed with how many people had reached out to her from the church and said uh, they were praying for her and hoping that she's on the mend, and, and she's recovering very well. She seemed to be really good spirits, although maybe on a little bit of medication. I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, she seemed to be, you know, very, very good spirits and, and, uh, and just loving life and, and very grateful for um, the, what appeared to be the success of the, of, the, uh, of the operation. We certainly hope so. Um, and so we'll be praying for that. And as Carissa mentioned before, uh, we are just incredibly grateful to welcome uh, Theodore Milton Graham, born to Tim and Laura Graham, uh, this past, uh, I think it was Thursday night, right? At 120, I think that was Thursday night. Um, and man, what a name for like a Supreme Court justice, you know? 
you know, who, who do you want on the bench? I uh, want Theodore Milton Graham, you know, just a great name. Welcome, Theo. Um, and so I just want to take a moment to pray for all of this. Thank you, Father, for the life that you've given us in this community, that the work that you're doing, the love that you're showing in and through New Hope Community Church. Um, Lord, we love you and we give you this day. Um, we thank you for uh, exciting, fun times that we can have, like going snow tubing um, as, a, as a community, as a family. That's just so much fun. Uh, Lord, we pray, do, we do pray for this, um, this anxiety group that Jay's going to uh, do. I, I pray that it reaches uh, students where they live. You know, uh, I pray that uh, as we're going to talk about today, we, we need a faith that, that matters to our actual lives, not one that is going to be focused on some, you know, future distant reality, but one that matters in the here and now, living this eternal life today. Lord, we just, we pray that this, uh, the, this, this series that Jay's going to do, this, this study that Jay, Jay's going to do, will, will reach um, real students um, and uh, for the glory of your kingdom. Uh, Lord, we pray for Mary. We are so grateful for her and for the life uh, of, of her worship and passion that she brings to our community. We pray for her healing. We pray for her, her joy. We pray for her rest, because sometimes God, you know, makes us have foot surgery in order that we just might rest a little bit, and maybe that'll be good for Mary. So, um, Lord, we just pray for her. We thank you for her. We are so grateful for her. And finally, Lord, uh, we are so grateful uh, for the life of the Graham family, as they're this ever-expanding Graham family, as uh, they welcome Theo. Uh, we pray for, for Laura's health, for, for Tim's leadership, for uh, this new life of uh, baby Theo. Lord, um, I just pray that this family would see you, that they would learn about you and hear about your love and learn more about your love uh, as they welcome this new life into the world. Uh, Lord, we are grateful for all of this. We worship you today. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, amen. So uh, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 3. John 3. We have before us a very important passage this morning. For starters, you know, you may have been, you know, at the, I, I don't know, do they still, do people still have the John 3.16 signs, or is that like, was that just in like the 80s and the 90s, but do, do people still do that? Anyway, you might have seen it on TV or something like that. People holding signs that say John 3.16 at, like at like a football game or, or something like that. Um, and this passage that we're going to look at contains these incredible words, these words that have meant so much to the life of the church. For God so loved the world that he gave his, his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Many have seen the entire biblical message kind of condensed into that verse, and I think I agree. I think it's an excellent summary description of the Bible's message and one that should drive us to act exactly as it describes, because God is calling us not only to believe in him, he's calling us to believe him. Our own faith tradition has often used the phrase, personal relationship with Jesus to describe this life of belief. And I think that can be helpful as well. Far more important than religion is the relationship that God wants to have with you. And to enter into this relationship means it means trusting him. It means surrendering to him. It means making him the king of your heart. 
And that's what it means to believe in him. That, that's what Christianity is all about, Charlie Brown. See, context is a big part of studying the Bible. So lots of times, if we take one verse out of context, we run the risk of kind of missing the whole point. Like, for, for instance, another example would be in, in Philippians, uh, Paul says this, he says, I, I, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The problem is sometimes people have used that as kind of like a name it and claim it verse. And when we do that, we miss, the, we miss Paul's point. It says Paul wasn't writing to help his readers gain like strength to get a better house or a better paycheck or a better job or a better relationship. He was speaking of seeing Christ in all circumstances of plenty and hunger and abundance and need. But, but thankfully, in, in John 3.16, we actually see a verse that means exactly what it says. Actually, I think that the bigger challenge of this verse is, is that not that we take it out of context, is that sometimes we, 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 uh, some folks tend to turn it into something that it, never meant to, it was never meant to be. Sometimes we turn it into a message that is merely about personal salvation, a statement that encourages folks to believe in Jesus in order that they can go to heaven when they die. And that interpretation of the gospel, that, 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 that interpret, it turns the, turns the gospel into like fire insurance. You know, turn or burn. There have been preachers over the centuries who have read this verse, as is, for God so loved the world, etc., and then preached a sermon that essentially said, for God so hated this awful place that he sent Jesus to help us be evacuated from it in order that, 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 that they might be evacuated from it on one fine day in the future. But I don't know about you, that, that doesn't sound like good news to me. It just kind of sounds like a threat. I don't want a faith that is fire insurance. I need a faith that matters today in the here and now. I need a faith that cares about this world that we've been placed in. I need a faith that drives me to something bigger than religion or attendance at some service or, or program. I need a faith that's bigger than just an assent to belief. I need a faith that helps me to define life itself. One that looks at the past, present, and future of this world with perspective and purpose. I need a faith. I need the faith of John 3.16. The one that says that God so loved this world that he created, that he shaped, that he sent his son Jesus to lead people away from the paths that lead only to death and show them the kind of life that will echo in eternity. I think I just quoted Gladiator. Anyway, do you care about worship? Do you care about discipleship? Do you care about mission? Do you care about evangelism? Do you care about creation care and the environment and justice and beauty and order and faith and relationship and feeding the hungry and family and community? If so, it's all there in John 3.16. Here we learn a fundamental truth about God. He loves this world. Do you? We also learn a fundamental truth about humanity that we need his salvation, that we have been consumed in this world by sin, death, and evil, and we need to be saved from that, and we cannot affect that salvation on our own. In the Greek, the word world, the word world doesn't actually just mean earth. It's the word cosmos, for God so loved the 
cosmos. And cosmos is where we get the word cosmos. In this verse, we see the truth that God is about the business of cosmic reconciliation. He is inviting us to be a part of that. That is the good news of the gospel. To believe in him isn't just an intellectual exercise. It's not all up here in the mind. It's here in the heart. It's about trusting that he is redeeming you to the core of your being. That is what John 3.16 is all about. So, this past week, I had a chance to go deep underground into the New Hope archives. I had a, I had a torch in, in one hand and a, and a sword in the other, and I, and, I, and I fended off monsters as I traveled deep into the underground passageways, deep into the catacombs un, underneath the church here, until I found what I was looking for. The recording from the sermon of of March 1st, the ancient days, the year of our Lord, 2009. Jason Pauline, our our pastor emeritus, had preached through John back in 2009, and I, I wanted to hear his wisdom. I wanted to hear what he had to say about John 3. Winter of 2009, our nation had just inaugurated a new president. Amy and I had just found out that we were expecting our first child, and the pollings we're having toilet trouble. I know this because Jason spent a good bit of the sermon talking about it. <laughs> he said that he had been working on this toilet earlier that week when he realized, and I'm quoting, this is just like Jesus. See, the problem wasn't the gross part of the toilet. It, it actually was the water tank that, that had been leaking. Jason's ultimate point was that it wasn't enough for the toilet just to leak a little bit. It needed to be repaired from the ground up. It needed to be redeemed to the core of its being, as it were. That's the big picture context that we see in the story of John 3. So let's go there now. We'll start at the beginning of the chapter, and we're going to work through the whole thing. So it would be really great if if you had a Bible in front of you, either in book form or in phone. So setting up the story... Jesus and his disciples are are probably still in Jerusalem for the Jewish festival of Passover. If you didn't know, Jesus was a Jew. He was Jewish. Um, And and he still is, as a matter of fact. And this story takes place just after that. Starting in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, This is a highly affirming description. We don't often get this level of detail when describing an individual person in the Bible. Oftentimes we would just see there was a man, or there was a Pharisee, or Nicodemus, or, you know, a ruler. But but for for John to, to describe this kind of slowly, to spend the ink on there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This is highly affirming description. Nicodemus wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a man of the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The Pharisees, as you probably know, they were the religious authorities of the day. Now, it's common in the Gospels for Jesus to be seen debating Pharisees, and lots of times we see him calling them out on their hypocrisy. But it's really important that we don't see Pharisees in the Bible as the bad guys. Um, They were keepers of tradition and practices of the Jewish people. 
um, they, they, they called people, Pharisees called people to live better lives. Lives that were in step with, with the trust that they had for how God was going to restore Israel once again. It's actually vital that we acknowledge how much Jesus had in common with the Pharisees. Because Jesus wasn't interested in a watered-down version of Torah or a watered-down version of the Old Testament, a watered-down version of the Hebrew law, the Jewish Bible. The problem was that all of those traditions, all of the Hebrew law, the, 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 the Passover, the Exodus, the, the temple, the, king, the kingdom, all of the Old Testament actually pointed to Jesus. It was all pointing to Jesus, who was the fulfillment of God's covenant with Israel. But the Pharisees didn't often see it like that. Jesus was actually the fulfillment of everything that they were trying to do, but at the time it seemed like Jesus was challenging everything that they knew. So we should give the Pharisees a break, especially when we see one of them go to Jesus the way Nicodemus is in this passage. Nicodemus wasn't just a Pharisee. wasn't just a Pharisee. He was, he was part of the Sanhedrin a ruling, a ruling body of the Jewish people. So for him to come to Jesus was a big deal. Story continues. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Heavily symbolic, of course, but not hard to decipher. Nicodemus was a man of power and influence. For him to come to Jesus, who had been challenging Jewish authority, could be seen as scandalous. So Nicodemus comes in the cover of night. If you've been watching the, the Chosen show, by the way, they do an excellent job with this. Uh, Nicodemus says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. So what does Nicodemus do there? He shows his cards immediately. He didn't come there to insult Jesus or to challenge Jesus' authority. He came with the understanding that God was indeed working through this Jesus in some way. He didn't have all the answers, but he knew that God was in this. And Jesus could have just said, like, thank you. So, do you come to Jerusalem often? But that's not what happened. One of the things that struck me about, about Jason's sermon on this was he, he said that, you know, John 3 is actually one of the most offensive passages in all of Scripture. And I think he's right, and not just because of what Jesus is about to say, what he's about to say to, to Nicodemus could be called offensive, but because Jesus goes on the offense in, in a sports sense of the word. See, Nicodemus compliments Jesus. He, he shows his cards. He says he believes that Jesus is from God. Nicodemus just threw the ball to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't just take a knee. He runs with the ball in order to gain yardage. What does he say? Jesus says, responds to this compliment by saying, Amen, amen, truly, truly, I tell you like it is, straight up, here's the undiluted truth. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we don't really know what Nicodemus was expecting Jesus to say, but it probably wasn't this. And he says to Jesus, how how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, to our ears, that, that might sound like mocking, but actually I don't think that's what's going on here. For my money, I think Nicodemus is genuinely perplexed at Jesus' words. 
Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't, are you really so surprised, Nicodemus? Don't, be, don't marvel that I said to you, you have to be born again. You must be born again. You know, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Well, that's a lot to take in. So, let me get this straight. We're supposed to be born of water and spirit. And twice now, Jesus has mentioned the kingdom of God, um, which actually doesn't happen very often in the, in the, in the Gospel of John, um, the mention of the kingdom. Something that, that evidently we're supposed to both see and enter. And apparently to do this, we have to be born again of the spirit. The word spirit is pneuma. It could just mean wind. So Jesus is saying that we have to be born of this wind that blows every which way. I mean, it stands to reason that Nicodemus would say, I'm lost, Rabbi. How how can these things be? But again, Jesus goes on the offense. He keeps moving that ball down the field. Aren't you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? You see, Jesus wasn't just pulling words out of thin air. He, He was actually referencing the Old Testament. He was referencing Israel's scriptures. Keep a, keep a finger in John and, and turn back for a moment to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel was a prophet writing in the time of exile around the time of, of Daniel. God gives Ezekiel something to tell Israel about the, the restoration of the Israel people, of the people of Israel. Uh, Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, you know, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries, and I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. And I will, get this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Notice, notice the emphasis, the, 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 the affirmation of the physical there. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God because that's the way the world is supposed to work. Sometimes we can get blinded by what is at the expense of what could be. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, have you forgotten that God, what God has promised? You know, don't you remember your, your Ezekiel, Nicodemus? This always was about the work of restoration that I am doing through Israel for the sake of who? 
What? The world. The cosmos. Back to John 3, picking up in verse 11. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you, and this is a plural you, like Jesus is saying, truly, I I say to you, we speak of what we know, we bear witness to what we've seen, but y'all don't receive our testimony. Like, none of you guys are getting it. If I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how are you going to believe if I actually start talking to you about heavenly things? And we're going there. Don't get me wrong, Nicodemus. We're getting to the heaven stuff. But so far, we've actually just talked about earthly stuff. Nicodemus, you're a good man. You care about your people. You care about God. And you believe that he will be faithful to his people. The problem is that you have been so dedicated to your traditions that you've been blinded by them because you've forgotten what they were always supposed to be pointing towards. So far, Nicodemus, you've seen me do some signs. You've seen me drive uh, some people out of the temple that you know have no business being there. And you've heard me quote the scriptures that you're supposed to be living by. Nicodemus, you ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus continues in verse 13. He says, get this, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the who? The Son of Man. In other words, one one does not simply walk into the presence of God. The only one worthy of walking into the presence of God is the one who came from the presence of God. Hey, wouldn't you know it? There's a a reference to Daniel 7. No one will approach the Ancient of Days, Allah and Daniel 7, except the one who was and is the incarnation of the Ancient of Days. So only God can truly enter the presence of God? Well, that's not a, really all that comforting. But wait, there's more. Jesus continues in verse 14. Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's kind of a peculiar thing to reference. This is a reference to Numbers 21. And of course, anytime Moses is brought up, we have to start thinking Exodus, deliverance, salvation, freedom from bondage. And, and this is way before the time of Ezekiel. This, in this section of the Old Testament, in this section of Torah, Moses and the Israelites are in the wilderness waiting to enter the promised land, waiting to enter the kingdom, right? And the people are in a bad mood. The the people go to Moses and they complain and they say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? We got no food. We got no water. Our pets' heads are falling off. (laughs) No. No, they say, we loathe this worthless food. Of course, this is all dripping with irony, How dare you deliver us from slavery and provide us with this miraculous food in the middle of nowhere because we're too scared to enter the promised land. Highly insulting to God. So if you know your numbers, what does God do? He sends fire snakes. You heard me right. Fire snakes. To attack these ungrateful people. So the people come to Moses and they said, oh, we've sinned. We've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away these fire snakes from us. So Moses prays, and, he, and, he, and God tells him, all right, all right. Moses, make, make a fire snake out of bronze. And I want you, what I want you to do is I want you to set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten by a snake is going to see this and, and live. Kind of a peculiar story. 
I think it reminds us that, well, A, watch out for fire snakes because evidently they're around. Be grateful for what we've been given and trust in, in God's definition of deliverance rather than complain that he isn't working fast enough. So Jesus is referencing all of this with Nicodemus. Let's, so let's back up for a moment. Jesus is having this conversation with one of the Pharisees who seems to be threatened, as a, as, who as a group kind of seem to be threatened by Jesus. And here we have one Pharisee in particular, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus in the dark of night because he believes that there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. And Jesus starts talking to him about the need to be born again, which is a reference to Ezekiel. He references the Son of Man, which is a reference to Daniel 7, when one like the Son of Man would receive an everlasting kingdom. Both Ezekiel and Daniel come from the exile part of the Bible story when, when the people are longing for restoration. And then Jesus starts talking about seeing and entering the kingdom of God. And he references then this story in Numbers about the fire snakes, which is all about the people of God waiting in, in, in eager anticipation to enter the promised land. So you may have just thought that the story of the fire snake was peculiar, but but again, you ain't seen nothing yet. Just as Moses lifted up this snake in the wilderness, what, what needs to happen? You, you in Israel, you humanity who have been um, in, in the exile waiting for God to restore this world, the Son of Man, this one who is set to receive glory and honor and power and dominion, dominion what is God going to do with that sort of power? He's going to be lifted up. He's going to be lifted up on the cross and be the unblemished lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. What does it look like for God to be in power? Look at the cross. Everyone who believes this and operates their life according to the story, Jesus says, will taste the eternal life that we were always meant to have. See, the wages of sin are death. Walking the path of sin and selfishness will only lead to death. It will only lead to perishing. But, but you, you were meant for more. God desires that you would be born again, born anew. Born of the water, meaning washed clean from your sin, and born of the Spirit, breathed new life into you, with God breathing new life in you, in order that, that you might live the life that you were always meant to live. He created you for a purpose. You remember back in Ezekiel, when, when God said, you know, it wasn't for the sake of Israel that he was restoring them. See, the point was that, that Israel was never supposed to be blessed for their own sake. This was never just about you guys, Israel. Israel was always blessed for the sake of others. And at the time, God told Ezekiel that he acted for the sake of his holy name. What does that mean? It means that God's going to act according to his agenda alone. God alone is the eternal, sovereign king. And if you think you've got a special seat at the table because of your bloodline or because of your religious practices, you've got another thing coming. God alone calls the shots of the cosmos. But here's the thing, Jesus says. Jesus says, hold that thought because let me tell you what God is going to do 
with his name. Let me tell you about God's agenda. Let me, ha- let me tell you what happens when we truly see God on the throne. What is God going to do with power and authority? For God so loved the world. For God so loved the cosmos that he gave, that he sacrificed his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not walk the way of death, but have eternal life, walk in the eternal kind of life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. God sent his son in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, Jesus says. He, 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 i got to tell it like it is, guys. And remember that Jesus was, was speaking with Nicodemus over candlelight. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light because they don't want to come into the light lest their works become exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that that his works have been carried out by God. You see, Nicodemus says, Jesus, you know, what I'm about to do needs to be seen. It needs to be public. My ministry isn't about private conversations by candlelight, at least not primarily. It's it's good to have these moments. It's good to have these quiet moments. It's good to have these silent, candlelit moments when it's just me and God talking in the middle of the night. I think that's good, but, but that's not our mission. That's where, that's, that's, it's like, it's, it's kind of cool that we think of like this candlelit conversation that Jesus has in, is having with Nicodemus as part of the refiner's fire for tomorrow morning to, for Nicodemus to wake up and start living like Jesus is actually the one true king. See, the work of the gospel can't be done under the dark of night when people try and hide who they are. No, humanity tries to cover up their sin. They do it in darkness. They lie to themselves. They lie to others. But Jesus says, I've come to shine a light on the world. I've come so that sin, death, and evil are exposed for exactly what they are. I'm not coming to pull punches. I want to look, I want to judge sin, death, and evil for exactly what it is because that's what you need more than anything else, you sinner. For God to look at me and expose my sin for what it is and then burn that sin out of me is exactly the kind of judgment that I need. That's how he is going to create in me a new self, a new creation, because anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Jesus says, I have come so that sin, death, and evil will be exposed for what it is, not because I want to condemn this world. No, no, I love the world. I want to expose all this evil because I want to name it, and then I'm going to destroy it through sacrificial love. I want to set my people free from it. And then I want them to walk in the path of sacrificial love and bring this message of salvation out to a broken world because God so loved the world. And not just the people of Israel, all of humanity. Jew plus Gentile, the new humanity that Jesus is calling his people to now walk in. He is the new covenant that is why this is an offensive passage. 
it is an offensive passage because it says is Jesus is king, except no substitutes. Jesus is Lord, except no substitutes. Um, there, there's going to be lots of opportunities for us to follow other paths, for us to follow other philosophies, for us to fall for this lie that there's kind of many ways up the mountain. Like, Jesus is saying, I'm the way. I am how God is, is reconstituting this world, re-reconciling this world back to himself. I mean, Ephesians 1.10, that, that God in Christ wants to, to reconcile the world back to himself. That's the point of the gospel, cosmic reconciliation. And you and I are a part of that. We are saved by grace through faith for the works that he's prepared for us. That is an offensive passage because it says that Jesus is king. Accept no substitutes. It says that God loves the world, and then it turns it back to us and says, do you. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are grateful for these words, for your word, that speak to us about your love. And this love... We're grateful that it is not um, a superficial love. It's not a love at a distance. It's not a fluffy love that, oh yeah, God loves this world. Your love looked like something. It looked like you sending your son, you putting on flesh, living among us in a sinless life, but then dying a sinner's death to proclaim victory over sin, death, and evil, and inviting us to live into your new creation reality. As we anticipate, yes, that final hope of the restoration of heaven and earth, of that last image in Scripture that we see of, of, of heaven and earth becoming one as this royal wedding party of this, um, this cosmic party that we are looking towards. We live in anticipation of that hope. Lord, help us to be the men and women and students that, that, that you are calling us to be in the here and now. Help us to live eternal life now. Help us to ask the question, am I living today like I'm never going to stop living? Am I living today in a way that is going to echo in eternity, that, that is going to follow your lead, that is anticipating your new creation hope? Lord, it is in this that, that we pray. We, we, we ask all of this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.